welcome to the Nature Inspired Podcast. I am your host, Emma Hawthorne, a budding conservation biologist, performer and yogi. Before we begin, I would like to pay my respects to the traditional owners of the land I am sitting on today, the Ugumbe language region, and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. So today we are talking about the ocean because today, Thursday the 8th of June, is the United Nations World Ocean Day. Now, don't worry if you're listening to this on another day because we are also in the Decade for Ocean under the UNESCO United Nations Decade of Ocean Science for Sustainable Development. So today and this entire decade is about celebrating the ocean. It's also about creating more awareness of some of the threats our ocean and its inhabitants are facing, sharing knowledge and solutions to some of the ocean's most urgent problems, and finding ways to live in harmony with the ocean and use its resources more sustainably. Some fun and not-so-fun facts to get us started today. The ocean makes up two-thirds of our planet. And oceans make up 96.5% of our planet's water. We know more about the moon and the universe than we do about our deep oceans. More than 3 billion people rely on the oceans for their livelihoods. And globally, a third of the population lives on the coast. Now, the coastline only makes up about 4% of the Earth's total landmass. So that's a huge proportion of us living on the coast. Here in Australia, 87% of our population live within 50 kilometres of the ocean. The ocean creates 50% of the oxygen we need, and it also absorbs 25% of the carbon in the atmosphere. The ocean and its many inhabitants, however, are facing crazy amounts of threats, including unsustainable fishing, pollution, climate change that's causing acidification, it's causing rising of the oceans because the ice caps are melting, and we're seeing these extreme weather events. As the carbon increases, the ocean also does its bit to absorb the excess heat created by these carbon emissions, and so water temperatures continue to rise. When ocean temperatures rise, the oceans become more acidic And that causes things such as the coral bleaching that we're hearing about in the Great Barrier Reef. Unfortunately, between 2008 to 2021, a recent study showed that about 57% of species within the Great Southern Reef, so I mentioned this in episode one, the Great Southern Reef is in the southern parts of Australia, Uh, 57% of population declines there, and some of these have declined by over 30%. A lot of these declines can be attributed to heat waves where the water temperatures increase and certain aquatic species just cannot survive. So global warming is changing the entire chemistry of the sea. As the sea absorbs more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, then the sea temperatures rise, then there's more acidification and more surface water evaporates. Therefore, the atmosphere warms because it has more water vapor in it. And for every degree Celsius that the atmosphere increases, then we get 6 to 7% more water vapor. So we're getting 
denser, moister air levels, warmer, and this creates more intense rainfall. And as we've experienced in the last few years, we see major flooding events. So everything's interconnected and the whole hydrological cycle is completely affected by one little change. As humans, we always want to know what nature can do for us. How can it serve us? So although I believe that nature has intrinsic value just simply by the act of it existing, for the purposes of learning about the importance of our oceans today, I'm going to list just some of the ecosystem services the ocean provides. So firstly, and probably most obviously, it provides food for not only us humans, but other terrestrial species such as birds. It sequesters a lot of carbon. It draws it down from the atmosphere, as I just mentioned. It filters polluted water. It's incredibly important as a a cultural connection. We use it for recreation, for tourism and spiritual reasons. And it also uh, has a very important nutrient cycling process. And the ocean is a really incredibly important part of the hydrological system that enables life on this planet. When we put it into dollars... It's estimated that marine ecosystem services provide us with 29.5 trillion US dollars of worth per year. So they're incredibly important. And if you're a money person, that's going to help put it into perspective. Water quality in coastal zones is incredibly impacted by pollution. And this is predominantly from stormwater drainage. So prior to urbanization and the creation of these concrete jungles, water would flow through rivers and streams back to the ocean. Water would also flow through the earth and through the soil and drain into the ocean after rain. However, now that we have predominantly concrete surfaces in urban areas, our water runs off rapidly down our gutter systems and through our stormwater pipes, and this often causes urban flooding. It also enables toxic substances from oil leaks on the uh, roads and litter on the ground to also be washed away. Usually, the land, the soil, is able to absorb most water, especially in areas where there's high vegetation, where the plants absorb a lot of this water and their roots help bind the soil. However, when water gushes down concrete pathways, there's no ability for the water to be absorbed into the earth. And there's no time for any filtering of the water. So these toxic elements, which can usually be removed by natural filtering processes, that that process gets completely skipped. And so we find our coastal zones incredibly polluted. And it's, it's why you'll often see after heavy rain at many urban beaches, signs that say the water's not safe to swim, high pollution, So protecting these essential coastal zones is also important. We often think of the ocean as this big body mass of water, uh, but these coastal zones, uh, our mangroves and the estuaries are incredibly important. It's where a lot of animals, land and sea, have their nurseries. So in wetlands and mangroves and coastal inlets, we see birds nesting. We see sea turtles uh, lay their nests, they lay their eggs. We see fish spawning and whales giving birth. Incredibly important zones. Now, I'm sure everyone is aware of plastic being a threat to the oceans. We've 
all probably seen those devastating images of turtles and seabirds wrapped in plastic, as well as graphic images of whale stomach uh, contents that show stomachs full of plastic and show how different aquatic life have starved themselves with plastic in their stomachs. But have you heard of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch? It is literally a floating island of plastic in the northern Pacific Ocean that spans 1.6 million kilometers squared. It's produced by a gyre where ocean currents become like a vortex, essentially, and they draw these plastics into one place. This causes harm to aquatic life, uh, who often eat and consume this plastic, but it's also a huge concern because although plastic does break down, it breaks down into tiny microplastics, and these microplastics can last for very long periods of time. So just to get our head around timeframes of plastic decomposition, decomposition, a plastic bag takes about 20 years to decompose, a plastic straw about 200 years, and coffee pods, those ones we use in the machines, about 500 years. So it's really important that we start moving away from plastic as best we can, which of course we're seeing a lot of initiatives happen these days. Overfishing is also threatening our oceans, with one third of our fish stocks currently overfished, according to the Marine Stewardship Council, MSC, which I'm going to mention quite a bit after this, so I'll refer to them as MSC from here. Unsustainable fishing is when too many adults of a population are caught at once, and there are insufficient numbers to build back the populations. This is why research on sea animals is really important in terms of fishing. We need to know the life cycles, the reproductive times of fish to know when and where to fish. Imagine you catch thousands and thousands of fertile female fish that are about to give birth. That's millions of fish that aren't going to make it. And if we potentially caught an older uh, fish of the same species, it might enable those populations to keep self-sustaining. Also, when we target nursery areas where, yes, fish are abundant uh, because they're spawning, they're releasing their offspring, same thing, we're going to cut off complete populations. In 1992, Canada overfished its Grand Banks cod. So not only did it decimate these populations, but 35,000 fishers uh, lost their jobs. And it was this exact collapse that initiated the creation of the marine stewardship. <laughs> I'll say that again. It initiated the creation of the Marine Stewardship Council, which is now an internationally renowned and accepted fishery science and management organization. Still, today we still see destructive methods of fishing, including the use of cyanide, explosives, and ocean floor dredging where nets are literally <laughs> drawn across the ocean floors. So reefs, coral, everything goes with it, completely destroyed, not just the species that they're targeting. Overfishing is not technically illegal under certain circumstances, but it is a failure from governments and uh, managers of fisheries uh, in setting sustainable catch levels, it's really important that we have sufficient laws to protect fish populations. 
Illegal phishing, on the other hand, is known as IUU, which stands for illegal, unreported, and unregulated. And it happens when fishers fish without licenses, or they do it in protected areas, or they overfish a prohibited species. MSC, however, has a certification standard that a lot of fisheries are now adopting. And you can see this on a lot of commercial seafood, such as tuna cans. Uh, I was recently in Woolies having a look at that and was quite shocked to see just how many are now MSC certified. So if, an M- if a product is MSC certified, then it means it conforms to a standard that makes the illegal, the IUU seafood, difficult to enter the legal marketplace. It also helps to condemn any forced or child labor in the production of seafood. And the good thing is it's regularly assessed. So anyone that's declared their sustainable practices uh, gets assessed regularly and it has to be regulated through the entire supply chain. Good news is Uh, Moving forward, we've got over 19% of wild-caught marine life uh, engaging with this MSC program, and 95% of the certified fisheries are making improvement to their practices. So it's a step forward. We need to do a lot more in terms of sustainable fishing, but it's definitely something uh, worth talking about. Some other good news uh, in terms of sustainable fishing is a not-for-profit organisation from Australia called Ocean Watch Australia. They're working to make Australian seafood more sustainable. They're also doing some coastal habitat restoration and they're working alongside the fishermen and farmers or the fishers and farmers uh, that create this seafood. They have a really great sustainable seafood guide. You can look it up on the internet at uh, www.goodfish.org.au Go and have a look at a particular species you might be interested in and they'll give you a guide as to whether A, it's, it's a no-go, don't, don't consume this fish, it's absolutely unsustainable, its populations have been depleted. And then other ones, it will say, great, these guys are really uh, sustainable. Perhaps they're farmed like some of the oysters in Australia. Uh, perhaps they're wild caught, but they have high populations. So it's a really good source, especially if you're a seafood lover. Another great thing they have on their website is they will show listings of restaurants that are sustainable. It's a a little bit of a a downer that when I looked up Sydney, there was only one restaurant there. But then it did warm my heart because it's a restaurant I have eaten at many times before called SoCal. It's in Neutral Bay. It's a Mexican and they serve a lot of seafood there, including their famous fish tacos. So it really warmed my heart to know that we have at least one sustainable seafood restaurant in Australia. Well, there's more in Australia, but in uh, the Sydney region. But considering how big Sydney is, uh, we should have a lot more. So if you're in Sydney, go and check out SoCal. If you're about to visit Sydney, head to SoCal. So I want to disclose that this episode was a little bit hard to produce, not because it's a difficult topic to talk about. It's It's just that the ocean is so huge, it's so vast and diverse and unknown. So I didn't really know where to begin, what to include. And I thought 
my difficulty in this uh, is probably related to why we've mistreated the ocean from the get-go. Because it's so big and vast, we all probably think, well, what's a little bit of sewage, a bit of plastic, a little bit of toxins here or there going to do to this huge mass of water? And unfortunately, the answer is quite a lot. And even more so, a lot that we're not even aware of yet. We don't even know the extent of what we've done to the ocean yet. But I always promise with this podcast to provide solutions. So we're going to head now to some inspiring hope spots where indeed the tides are changing. Mission Blues Hotspots is an initiative driven by Dr. Sylvia Earle. Now, if you have never heard of Dr. Sylvia Earle, I would advise you to go check her out. She is a conservation marine biologist queen. She's dedicated her whole life and she's done so much for aquatic life. There's a wonderful documentary on Netflix called Mission Blue. So if you have that, go and check it out. It's a great place to start your journey with Dr. Sylvia Earle. So there are areas of the ocean and coastlines that have been identified as hotspots for biodiversity. And they've been identified because they're critical for the health of the oceans and they're protected under the guidance of Mission Blue. At the moment, these hotspots cover approximately 57,577,967 kilometres squared. (sighs) Quite a lot. And a lot of them focus in on areas where there are fish nurseries, which, as I mentioned before, are essential to increasing fish populations. One of the most recently declared spots is here in Australia at Byron Bay. It's Australia's 11th hope spot. And the reason it's been declared is it has a huge amount of biodiversity, including humpback dolphins, sea turtles, zebra sharks, grey nurse sharks and the Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphins. You can check out the 153 hope spots at missionblue.org and see what might be in your region and check it out. Globally, we are working towards 30% of the oceans being protected by 2030, the 30 by 30, uh, which is a great step forward. And these global agreements have already enabled protection of areas in Australia such as the Ningaloo Reef, Fraser Island, Franklin River and marine protected areas elsewhere. I was really lucky enough to swim with whale sharks in Ningaloo a few years ago. It's a pretty spectacular experience. It's on the west coast of Australia in northern western Australia and Being in the ocean with these huge uh, whale sharks that are just majestic and glorious uh, was such an experience. So if you can get there, I do recommend. The only thing I'm going to add about protections here is that borders in oceans are really tricky because they're anthropogenic. We just make them up as humans And it's quite redundant to both the water and aquatic life because water is fluid. It's constantly moving and flowing and animals move and migrate throughout different waters in the ocean. So this is one little thing that is tricky. So even though we might protect a really essential area, as soon as animals are out of there, there's not a huge amount we can do. We can only hope uh, that populations can sustain. So we're going to return to kelp forests. Uh, Today, talking more broadly about kelp forests, across the globe, one third of the coastlines of the planet 
uh, a cupboard in kelp forests. However, as we learnt back in episode one on my biodiversity podcast, uh, 95% of southern Australian giant kelp forests have already been lost. And that's unfortunately resulted in huge biodiversity losses and ecosystem collapses. The Kelp Forest Alliance uh, has created a Kelp Forest Challenge Pledge. It's mainly aimed at governments and uh, not-for-profits and businesses uh, to help fund kelp restoration, but it also is trying to boost people to share knowledge and research of it to the world uh, so that we can support these kelp forests. It both celebrates kelp and it's supporting kelp by aiming to restore 1 million hectares of forest and to protect 3 million hectares. So at the moment, there are currently 197 restoration projects around the world. With South Korea leading in size, it has about 10,745 hectares that it's restored. Australia is not too far behind. It certainly hasn't done that much, but it's in fourth place with 34 hectares uh, restored. So from these protected and restored sites, some really great things are happening. 486 uh, 100,000 tonnes of carbon have been captured within the oceans and there's been a huge increase in fish, uh, fish production in these kelp forests with 115,000 more fish uh, being produced and the amount of nitrogen that's been able to be cycled through this forest is 107,683 tonnes. The Great Southern Reef is uh, an organisation Um, down in the southern parts of Australia uh, where the Great Southern Reef is. And they've just produced recently a film called Beneath Bremer Bay. It's only a few minutes on YouTube. Uh, Bremer Bay is in Western Australia. And it shows you the huge amount of biodiversity that these kelp forests and coral reefs there enable. And some really strange and amazing things like the leafy dragons who are sea dragons that look like seaweed and therefore can camouflage themselves into the seaweed. There's so many undescribed species in these waters and these coral reefs and kelp forests uh, that even if species have been named, they really only know about a third of the species. Uh, As I mentioned in episode one, there's some really important species for ecological health of these systems. In this particular area in Bremer Bay, it's the groper fish that look after the reef. The groper fish are considered the kings of the castle. And if you do see groper fish on the reef, it can indicate that the health, uh, that the reef is really healthy. And when this groper is absent, then the food chain, uh, it being the top of the food chain, starts to quickly decline in health and we see these ecosystems being degraded. Now, it's that time in the episode where we look at what we can do to help support oceans. So firstly, I want to remind us that we are the ocean. We have as much salt in our bodies as the ocean And we are made up of at least 60% water. We are the ocean. We are connected. Just think about one little droplet of water and where it might have traveled around the entire world. It might have been in your body, then in the earth, then maybe it moved into the groundwater, then maybe it moved out to sea, then it was drawn up into the clouds, and then maybe it fell as rain. Water connects us all. 
to help support the ocean, I'd suggest checking out some of the resources I've mentioned today. Some have active pledges you can take. Some uh, have some volunteer opportunities, some business opportunities. If you're an investor, there's some great ways to invest in something really meaningful and supportive. And you can just check out some of the really interesting sea species and learn more. However, as Confucius said, real knowledge is to know the extent of one's ignorance. And this couldn't apply more to the ocean. There is so much that we do not know. So rather than become overwhelmed and therefore disconnect, instead be in awe of the magical, strange blue planet that creates life for all of us here on Earth. Another thing we can do that's quite an active thing is reducing our chemical use, our plastic waste, adding more vegetation to our properties and communities. Uh, If we have the option of not choosing concrete and using some other uh, surface that can absorb water that's going to really help our oceans uh, choosing sustainable seafood using these sources to find out where we can eat sustainably if we're fishermen or fishers or fisherwomen or fisher anyone uh, sustainably fishing they're all things that we can do to help now get out in the water or sit with the ocean and have some moments to just be grateful and connect to this beautiful mass of water and life that's bigger than all of us. I feel so calm at the ocean. Um, I, I guess it's because the ocean is just bigger than me and my problems. So whenever I go to the ocean, I feel like problems tend to wash away because they seem so insignificant when I see this giant ocean ahead of me. It might also be that the rhythm of the waves flowing in and out just feels like a soothing lullaby. Or maybe it's that water is astounding in that it's equal parts soft to strong. We can't really pick it up with our hands and yet it has the force to pull down trees and trucks and houses in floods and storms. Get into the ocean. So a few different options there. Uh, In the last episode, or maybe the first episode, I spoke about swimming with a turtle. And I just bought some cheap goggles from a 7-Eleven and went swimming around. And it was just magnificent. But snorkeling, uh, diving are also amazing things to help you get out and about and observing and becoming aware of that huge biodiversity of life. Paddy are a great group that do dives and provide dive training. I was really lucky. I haven't yet become certified. It's definitely on the to-do list. Uh, but I did get to do a ocean dive with seals in Naruma, about five hours south of Sydney a few years back. And it was such a surreal experience. Diving is almost indescribable. It feels like you're on another planet. It's so quiet. There's it's very peaceful and yet it's a little bit eerie Uh, so definitely if it's on your to-do list maybe put it on the near to-do list volunteer I always say volunteer there's an abundance of opportunities uh, always to help with the environment Uh, in Gold Coast where I'm currently living 
Uh, we have a wonderful corporation called Ocean Connect, not for profit. Uh, they do a whole lot of citizen science. So I went down to some of the rock pools at Burley Heads a few months ago and learned all about sea slugs and were part of their sea slug survey. They also do seagrass restoration and monitoring. Uh, in Sydney, uh, there's a great group called Seawalls. They're putting up these uh, plastic walls that mimic coral and they mimic the sides of oceans uh, where there's now cement walls. And that's to enable more life to attach to those walls. And if you go through Paddy, uh, the diving centre, they have uh, some programs where they get people together to go diving and removing plastic from the oceans. And finally, this just came through to my email today, so I thought it would be perfect, especially if you are from Australia. It comes from the Wilderness Society, who I follow. They do a lot of advocacy for the environment, especially in the legal realm. And they've suggested uh, writing to uh, our ministers and government about stopping oil exploration because the power of voices is what has stopped other projects from moving forward. Uh, we've stopped oil drilling in the Great Australian Bight. Uh, explorations that were meant to be done in the beautiful Ningaloo, uh, where I was talking of the whale sharks, have been moved. And uh, exploration in the Twelve Apostles, which is a really famous area, uh, in Victoria. So if you want, get on board. It's looking like the government is not actually going to renew offshore exploration of oil and gas. So this petition is less of a please do this, rah, 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 rah. It's more of a thank you and please don't feel pressured by the fossil fuel industry. You're doing the right thing. Thank you. And finally, I don't know if this term is uh, an original one, or whether I've coined it. If I've coined it, let me know. Uh, but be a reef hugger. I consider myself a tree hugger, uh, but I very much love the ocean just as much as the forests on land. So I've decided I'm a reef hugger as well. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode, if it's lit something up within you, then subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the next episode. And to check out the resources that I mentioned in this podcast, you can head to www.emmahawthorne.com forward slash podcast forward slash ocean. And if you want to connect, you can find me as Emma Hawthorne on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or you can follow me on my YouTube channel. It's Nature Inspired Yoga and Dance, and there's lots of free resources there for you if that is your thing. I hope you have a great week and remember, we are tied to the ocean and when we go back to the sea, whether it is to sail or to watch, we are going back from whence we came. John F. Kennedy Cheers, peace and I'll see you next time. <laughs>